Well, we are starting a series today called Cracked Pots. Turn to the person next to you and say, I've always thought you were a cracked pot. (laughs) And some of you are like, I've been waiting to say that for a long time. But I want you to know that the series that we're going to be in for about seven weeks is a series about life and, and the journey of life from the very beginning to the very end. It's going to cover Second Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. Go home this week. Read it. It's some of my favorite verses of Scripture in all the Bible because it talks about our journey and where we are. The whole basis for this series comes from Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And if you want to memorize a verse... Write this down so that you won't forget to memorize this verse. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, and this is the New Living Translation. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like, say it with me, fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And so this series is called Cracked Pots because we are all fragile clay jars. Now think about how a fragile clay jar is made. Somebody takes it from the earth, from the ground. They take it to a potter. The potter begins to fashion it. When I was in seventh grade, I made a dinosaur that I still have somewhere today if my children haven't broken it. But some potter, in my case, it was me that built the Tyrannosaurus Rex, put that bowl or that plate or whatever it was together. They fashioned it. And then they put it in the kiln and it was fired and then it was done. And when it came out of the kiln, you, after it, it cooled down, you could use it to drink water, to use it. It became a beautiful clay jar, but it was still a fragile clay jar. Anybody in here feel like a fragile clay jar today? Anybody in here maybe feel like a cracked pot? Anybody know who George Burns is? I love George Burns. I think he lived to be 170, but he was an expert in growing old, right? I I heard the other day some things that he said about, you know, you're getting old when he said, you know, and see if you identify with any of these, you know, that you're getting old when you get winded playing chess, (laughs) you know, that you're getting old when your children start looking middle-aged. You know that you're getting old when you sit in a rocking chair, but you can't get it going. You know that you're getting old when the little old gray-haired lady that you help across the street is your wife. And I heard this one just yesterday. George Burns said, at this stage in my life, I'm afraid of flowers. And if you've been to funerals or weddings, maybe you are afraid of flowers as well. They never bode well. They're not about romance anymore. They're about grieving. Keep the flowers away. Don't go to California during the Rose Parade. We're all fragile clay jars, friends. And the one thing that I know is that in life, life is hard. And the older we get, the more we diminish. Anybody else feel like they're diminishing in here from the time you were 15 or 16 or 18? Anybody feel like your body doesn't work the way that it used to? Anybody forgetting things? Um, You forgot even what you've forgotten. George Burns said, uh, by this stage in life, I've learned everything. I just can't remember it. 
But we're all fragile clay jars. Sometimes it's because we age. Sometimes it's because our body breaks down. Sometimes it's because mentally we're not as sharp as we used to be or we can't do the things that we used to do. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with the aging process, but maybe it has everything to do with regret. Something that you've said in your lifetime, something that you've done in your lifetime, something that you haven't said in your lifetime or something that you haven't done in your lifetime because If you live long enough, all of us learn to regret something. Can I get an amen? Amen. We've all got scars. At this stage in our life, we've all got scars. They may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be spiritual. And sometimes when we go through so much, we just feel all tuckered out. And we're tired of running the race. You know, my grandpa Hargrave was my spiritual mentor. Uh, He was a Bible college professor. He started 11 churches. Um, I used to love the conversations that we would have together. He lived to be 94. But when he was 80 years old, I was a young, spry, 20-something-year-old who had just gone through a breakup. And I was dealing with depression. I was dealing with wanting to end my life because I didn't think that I had a future. My grandpa was the only one that could get through to me. And he came to me and he said, you know, son, he called me son. He said, "Um, your life has a purpose and your life has a future. He said, the difficult days for you are going to be when the days behind you are greater than the days in front of you. And sometimes you're going to feel like you don't even have a future to live for. You know, it doesn't matter how old we are to feel that way. In 30 years of ministry, I've talked to people in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 70s, in their 80s, in their 90s, who feel like they don't have a future. They don't feel like their best days are still before them. They don't feel like there's something to live toward. But I've also met people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 90s, and 110s who are having the time of their life and they feel like tomorrow is going to be better than today. But where do we go when we don't feel like we have a future anymore? What do we do when we can't see those days? What do we do when we feel like a broken clay jar or a fragile clay jar that we don't know that we can go forward? Where we feel like we're fragile and chipped and cracked. And today, maybe you're in here and as you've lived your life, maybe it's not the aging process that has made you feel fragile. Maybe you're here wondering if you're a cracked pot because you're divorced or you are an addict or you're unemployed or you've been betrayed sometime in your life or you are emotionally devastated or that you are physically falling apart. Maybe it's because you've done horrible things. Maybe it's because someone has done horrible things to you. And so you have come to believe in this state of your life, wherever you are in your journey, that maybe your life is worthless. I mean, how can anything broken ever have value? Don't we throw away broken things? Don't we throw away things that don't work properly anymore? Now, the word valuable is an interesting word. Uh, It means something of great worth. 
And it's amazing how we judge what has value and what doesn't have value in our society. We see something and it doesn't fit our ideal of beauty or function or worth. And so we discard it. We throw it away. We turn our noses up at it. But when I was a kindergarten and I could read because I'm from Indiana and all kindergartners can read, especially because I was 16. (laughs) There was a sign on the wall, Price Elementary School, that said, God don't make no junk. And what I've discovered in life is that one person's trash is another person's treasure. And sometimes when we feel like we don't have worth... There is a creator who's saying, you have no idea how valuable you truly are, how much your life matters. When I was in Lakeland, Florida, I was preaching at my first preaching ministry and we decided to have a rummage sale. Anybody here like garage sales or rummage sales? How many of that's your occupation today? You just go on a scooter or on a skateboard or in your convertible to garage sales and you find treasures that other people are discarding. Okay, my mom does it. Now we call it eBay, but, you know, some of you still do it physically, right? So we're having this rummage sale. I had a friend. He was a pretty wealthy guy from Ohio. I mean, this is crazy. I don't even know people like this. But he bought a house, and not only did he buy the house, but he bought everything in the house. Who does that? I don't know. Um, So anyway, we're having this rummage sale. He looked at it as an uh, opportunity to get rid of some of this junk and the trinkets around his house that he didn't want. So he brought a whole bunch of stuff and we were raising money for missions. And um, about an hour into the rummage sale, this young 20-something-year-old girl runs up to me and my friend is standing next to me. She's like, Pastor Shane, you are not going to believe this. I just paid a dollar for this model of this little church. And I went online and you know what I found? This is a model that is highly sought after from Paris, France, and online, even used, it goes for $549. And my friend was standing there and his face went white. (laughs) Because one person's trash is another person's... Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a treasure. Turn to the person who just said that and say, you are a treasure. Saving marriages all over Daytona Beach today. How do we determine someone's value? How do we determine whether someone's life has value? Maybe you're here today and you're wondering that very thing and you're feeling that you should be discarded like so many other broken things. Maybe you have many, too many broken pieces and cracks in your heart that you feel irredeemable. And maybe you think that you're too far gone. That God could never forgive you. That God could never love you. If that's how you feel, I want to share some scriptures with you today to maybe change your perspective. Let's look up here. First Peter chapter 18 or one verse 18 says this. For you know that God paid a what? To save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Next one, Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God showed his what? For us by sending Christ to what? 
for us while we were still sinners. Great love. When something was on the trash heap, the God of all creation sent his one and only son to redeem you, to bring you back. Because guess what? Your life matters to him. Your future matters to him. Your history matters to him. And he wants to redeem you and reclaim you and make you his. Next verse is from Romans. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Friends, he has taken the old life and he has replaced it with his life. He has taken your shame and he's replaced it with hope. He's taking your sins and he's replaced it with life. He's taken death away. He's given you a new life to live. Because you matter. You have value. My wife always says, as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And you do today. And if you're still struggling with this whole idea of what God can do through your life, I want to read to you from John Ortberg, who's my favorite author and my personal friend because he wrote me a letter once. And he writes this in Love Beyond Reason. This is what he says. The church is a place for people who need do-overs. That is what God does. He comes to old father Abraham who laughs at God's promise and lies about his wife. And God says, how about a do over to a shepherd boy who became king and committed murder and adultery to a prophet who ran away and was rescued from the belly of a fish and wanted to die because he had to sit in the hot sun with no vine to a nation of stiff necked people to a persecutor named Saul who mocked his son and terrorized his people. To desperate, lonely, sinful people, God comes again and again and again and says, how about a do-over? For redeeming is what God is into. He is the finder of directionally challenged sheep, the searcher of missing coins, the embracer of foolish prodigal sons. His favorite department is lost and found. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto men. He redeems, he redeems, he redeems. When I was about six years old, my mom, hi mom, if you're watching, took me aside. By the way, I want to welcome everybody here from online. So she took me aside when I was six years old. I'm a fourth generation preacher. And she said, son, someday I think God is going to use you to share his word with other people. So there's a story that your grandpa tells and a story that your dad tells that I want you to know because you're going to need to tell people this story. And so this is an old preacher story, but it's called the little boat. Has anybody ever heard the little boat story? There was a, none of you. All right. I got, you know, Pure snow here. So um, God, the story is of a little boy who loved boats and he wanted to make a boat. And so he took a block of wood to his dad and he and his dad fashioned this little boat. And he made a little sailing vessel and he painted it and he um, put a sail on it with a mast. And he tied a string to it and he ran down to the stream behind his house. And he began to sail this little boat. But the current was stronger than he thought. The wind was was 
flowing briskly that day and his little string broke and his little boat began to sail down the stream and it sailed faster than he could run. And pretty soon this little boat that he had put so much into this little boat that he loved was lost and he was devastated and his heart was broken. And this little boy for a couple days just mourned the loss of this little boat. One day, a couple days later, he was walking through uh, the small town that he lived in. Uh, and he saw in the front store window his little boat. And he was so excited, he ran into the store shopkeeper and he's like, that's my boat. I made that boat. I love that boat. And the man said, do you have proof? And he said, yeah, my mark is right here. And he said, anybody could have made that mark. But sir, this is the little boat that I made. I made it with my heart. And he's like, listen, son, I just paid $10 from this little boat from a farmer uh, who found it. And if you want this little boat back, I'll give it to you for the price that I paid. And he said... Okay, so we went home and he did as many chores as he could. He emptied out his piggy bank. He took all of his nickels, dimes, quarters, and pennies into the store. And he paid the $10 for his little boat. And on the way out of the store, he said, little boat, little boat, you are twice mine. I made you, I lost you, and I have paid for you again. That is the story of what redemption means. God created us to live a life for him. We were following him, but at some point we willingly chose to walk away from him and we were lost to him. And so God had no other choice if he wanted to redeem us, to buy us back, but to send his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. We were his because he created us. We were lost to him and he bought us again on the cross with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what redemption is. And that's why you don't have to live a life that is without hope, a life that is without living, a life without a future. Because Ephesians says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us a what? A new. That means you are a new creation. Even if you're 107 years old in here today, I don't know why I said seven. I could have said 110. I like round numbers better, but I said 107. Even if you're 107 years old in here today, you can live a new life today. If you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life, you don't have to live in the mess of your past. You don't have to be a relational disaster anymore. Your sins can be paid for. You can be made new because of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for you because you are a child of God and your life matters. So let me ask you a question. Do you truly believe that you can have a new life? Do you believe that you can change? Do you believe your spouse can change? Or your daughter or son or grandchildren? Roger Merkel is one of my really good friends here. Roger, I don't, uh, I think he was going to try to be here. I don't know if he is, but he was a secret service agent for five presidents um, so, you know, that's why we put him with Joe a lot. Um, so I asked him if he would take a bullet for me. And he said, it depends what Joe's doing at the time <laughs> or something like that. But he, uh, he served with 1972, a president by the name of anybody remember president starts with an N start ends with an Ixon. <laughs> so president Nixon had this man on his staff that was considered to be a 
dirty tricks artist was brilliant when it came to political strategy and was able to maneuver people. He kept a list of all of President Nixon's enemies, both political in the media and uh, activist groups, and he actively worked to destroy those people. He was affectionately known and proudly known as President Nixon's hatchet man. Anybody know who he was? Yes, whoever said that. Chuck Colson is his name. Uh, you may remember in 1973, I think it was 1973, something water, called Watergate happening by alive during that time. You remember the political upheaval that took place? They were breaking in to try and change some political votes and stuff. Well, Chuck Colson was not actually part of that, but in regards to that uh, inquiry, he was charged with... Um, I can't remember what the charge was. It was um, obstructing justice. That's what it was. And he was fighting it. And he wasn't going to go to jail. And his family was behind him. His political allies were behind him. His friends were behind him. And you know what happened is uh, he went through a valley in his life because everything he had fought for. In fact, he said one time that he would do anything to get Nixon reelected, even if it meant walking over his grandmother. Anybody in here, Grandma? How many would you break the kneecaps of your grandchildren if they tried to walk over you? Oh, no, we don't do that in this household. I was channeling my wife. In his darkest hour, a friend came to him and told him about Jesus. And on August 12th, 1973, late in the evening, Chuck Colson decided to become a follower of Jesus and it changed him. He eventually pleaded guilty to the charges against him, even against the advice of everyone around him, because he said, I had a price I had to pay to complete the shedding of my old life and to be free to live the new. He was in jail for about a year. He came out told people he was a Christ follower. The media mocked him. Everybody mocked him. There's no way Chuck Colson can ever be a Christian because he is one of the darkest, most wily, underhanded political operatives that we have known in this generation. There is no way. He said he'd walk over his grandma for President Nixon. This guy can't be changed because you can't change the face of evil. But Chuck Colson was changed from the inside by a savior who loved him, who believed in a future rather than in a past. And Chuck Colson, when he was in prison, noticed that the people that were around him were people who were in horrible situations. They were embittered prisoners who contemplated escape and revenge with every breath that they took. And he believed that those people needed hope. And so he began prison reform and he went back with the message of Jesus. And this man who was all about destroying others, all of a sudden became all about bringing life to others. And because of his ministry, millions and millions and millions of inmates have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And if Chuck Colson can have that kind of transformation, so can you. If Michael Franzese, the former mobster, can have that kind of translation, so can you. If Paul, the persecutor, who saw the persecutor who destroyed Christians and sent them to prison before he met Jesus, can change into the Apostle Paul, so can you. Listen, your future is not defined by your past. Your future is defined by Jesus. Your worth is defined by your creator, not what other people say or what you think that you have done. So today is a day that you get to live. Today is a day that you have have hope because today is not the day that your life ends. Today is the day that your life is rejuvenated because Jesus is your savior. Jesus is your Lord. And he wants to take your life and take it to the next level. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has something more for you to do today? Turn to the person next to you and say, your mission's not over. Turn back to that person and say, how did you know I was in the CIA? You are in the Christ Institute Assembly. I just made that up and it works. Jesus has a purpose for you today. Your purpose is to live. You need to live. One of my best friends on staff is sitting right here. He's 70 years old. And he works as hard, if not harder than anybody on our team. Because he's not done. He he also asked for a raise today. So... He's still in the hospitals and in the nursing homes and counseling people with addictions and bringing hope and teaching Bible studies. Friends, your life doesn't get to go into retirement as a Christian. Your purpose is to bring light to a broken world because we are cracked pots that God wants to use. And so let me just say this, your brokenness, your scars are not disqualifiers in the kingdom of God. God is going to use your brokenness and your scars uh, to bring hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, death to those who are swimming in the shallows. That's why Paul writes, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Have you ever heard of a Japanese art called uh, Kintsugi? Kintsugi is actually uh, two Japanese words that are combined, which literally means joining with gold. The story is told of a, a Japanese military commander in the 15th century who broke one of his beloved Chinese tea bowls. And so he sent it to his craftsman to have it repaired. And when it came back, he was highly disappointed because what they had done is stapled the pieces together. So that they still worked. And he said, there's got to be a better way. So he took it back to uh, the craftsman. He said, find a different way to honor the cracks and the brokenness because this is still my favorite bowl. And when they came back to him, it was really interesting because it encompassed the essence of Japanese honor and their sense of history. And they began mending broken and cracked bowls by filling them with gold. Because they believe that when something suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. So today, when you walked into this room as a broken pot, as a cracked, fragile clay jar, you were given a piece of broken pottery. 
And the reason I want you to have this, and I hope that you'll carry it in your pocket or in your purse or put it on your nightstand or by your mirror, or if you're, you know, still an IndyCar racer driving around that you'll put it in your car to remember that we're all broken, but it's not our brokenness that disqualifies us. It's our cracks and our scars that make us available to reach other broken, cracked pots. And you know what God does with pieces of broken pottery like this? He takes a whole bunch of them and he makes a beautiful picture called a mosaic. That is so much better than many times than the original. What is God going to do in your life today? What is it that you need to begin living for? Because if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Your future is not defined by your past, but by the one who created it. So let's go. Because the Lord has a mission for us and your life has value. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for your grace. Lord, today, would you just speak to our hearts? Would you motivate us onto great works? Would you remind us that there is no depth that is too deep that you can't find us, that there is no valley so far that you can't reach us, that there is no night that is so dark that you can't illuminate. God, help us to live with purpose because you have changed us from the inside out. You have transformed us. You have called us and made us anew for such a time as this. And God, whatever past we have, may it be a foundation for us to launch into the future. And make a difference in the lives of those around us because the only healing salve for this generation, for this time in our country and in our life, is Jesus Christ. Help us to live boldly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
All right, friends, listen, it's been a great day. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, You've got a mission to fill this place. And it only happens by you. 90% of church growth happens because one person was willing to invite a friend. And you know that people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his message. So your job as you get ready to leave here today, as if you're willing to accept it, it'll self-destruct in five seconds, is to make a difference in someone's life tomorrow to, uh, when you go home. Uh, listen, how many of you like to eat? Amen. Amen. Uh, Listen, one of the things I want you to know is that there is no charge for our meals here. So anybody can come and eat. If you would like to give a donation, you can. The suggested donation is $5. It's just to help us with the, the cost of the meal. But there is no charge. You are free to eat free. And, um, so we just want you to be here. Uh, so I wanted you to know that. Uh, rememorize Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. For we have this treasures in fragile clay jars or jars of clay. Uh, we are those broken pots, those crack pots. I'm going to pray and then uh, I'm going to release you. Listen, there may be people here today who don't know anyone. So please take a, t- a moment, take a chance to say hi to make a difference in someone else's life. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this group today. Lord, we know you want to do something great inside of each and every one of these lives. So I pray that your spirit would stir them, would push them forward so that they would see your presence in their life. They would sense it, that they would feel the peace that all of us are desire. And that God, that they would be lights shining in a dark world for you, Lord. God, thank you for their life. Help us to eat well today, this wonderful food. And for that reason, we say thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.